I finished my tea. Oh, I'm drinking hot cocoa for Alyssa. I just texted my family to see if someone would make me a mug of hot cocoa. (laughs) I chugged a beer right before this to see if it would help my hangover. It Uh, did. I didn't didn't even want it, but I was like, I mean, I tried everything. I was lazy all day. Uh, I took a nap. I worked out. I ate like a gross sandwich. And I was like, I still feel like crap. I guess I have to have a beer. And it worked. (laughs) And it worked. Yep. Hello, and welcome to Fiction Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to books and book lovers like us. I'm Josephine Angelini. I'm Lauren Sanchez. I'm Alyssa Hilfinger. And I'm Aileen Calderon. We're four childhood friends from the suburbs of Massachusetts. We've always loved to read almost as much as we love to talk to each other. We started this podcast as a way to celebrate how a really good book can come into your life and change it. So if you're looking for fun and engaging conversations about books, stick around. This is Fiction Between Friends. And we're glad you've joined us. Welcome back. This is Episode 7, Season 1. I'm Josephine Angelini, and joining me are my dear friends, Aileen Calderon, Lauren Sanchez, and Alyssa Hilfinger. Hi. Before we get started, I just want to take a moment to remind our listeners to please leave a rating, or better yet, a brief review, if you can, on Apple Podcasts. Seriously, all it takes is a click. One little click to leave a rating. And with every five-star rating, an angel gets its wings. What can I say? It's that important. Anyway, how is everyone doing? We missed you, Lauren. I know, we're so oh, nice nice to be back. You. It's good to be back. You know why I missed you the most? Oh. Because I'm looking at my screen and it's an equal quadrant. Mm-hmm. And when you were uh, here, there were three. So it was like my big fat face and then oh. Alyssa and Josie. So now everything looks right. And we also went off the rails without you here. Oh, we, we really were, did. I'm not sure that I can keep you guys within the rails. I mean. I don't know. We just don't watch what we say a little bit more when you're around. That's not reason. true, is it? I hope that's not true. I don't think that's true. I think Lauren just is that reflection of what should and shouldn't be. So I work, I used to work with this librarian named Jerry and we we called her Saint Jerry. I think I might be turning into Saint Jerry if you guys think I'm all like right and wrong. (laughs) Kind of. I'm not. I wonder what Lauren would have said about our aubergine conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really curious about that because I mean, I know what you're talking about. I'll give you the outtakes, Lauren. It's really funny. But as a gardener, I think Lauren might have some insight into how to best care for aubergine. Oh, well, I just stick them in the ground and hope for the best. (laughs) Just jam them in that hole. Give them some water. You keep them nice and wet. Actually, I think they like it kind of dry, so I don't know what that means. (laughs) You're good for older women? Oh, no. Actually, Lauren, I take it back. We're not any better with you, though. (laughs) There's no hope. Oh, Lauren. It's all good. (laughs) So do we want to take a minute and just talk about our week before we get going? It's the last night of Hanukkah, the afterthought holiday. Like, oh, that one. Is it November 1st this year or like the end of December? Like, it's such a weird holiday. Do you know, that's the problem. It keeps moving around. Yes. Nobody trusts the holiday. that They can't figure out when it is. And it's eight days long, which is awesome when you're a kid. It's such a pain in the ass when you're a parent because every day you're like, well, here's another present. And also I realize I, I don't know how you guys approach holidays with your kids, but I realize the holidays have zero like significance. It's just about presents, mm. like, which, which I kind of hate. But I realized growing up, I feel like my parents tried to make Hanukkah mean something, but I was like, just give me my present. I just just want my present. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can tell me the story and all that, but it's about the presents, which is a really kind of shitty approach once you're a parent because Wyatt is just like, Oh, let's go light the memora. Where's my present? And I'm like, oh God. I don't know. I bring we go to um services on Christmas Eve. Just, you know, we're not super religious or anything, but for some reason it just makes it feel a little bit better. 
Um, this week, we decided to do something different. We're going to do um, two books and we split off into groups of two. But Alyssa and I never really, we both read the same book, but we never talked about what we were going to say about it. So mm-hmm. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say, Alyssa. I know, me too. But first, I really want to hear about Aileen and Lauren's book. Well, we didn't talk about it either. Not at all. <laughs> We're winging it. <laughs> we we read um, Eleanor Oliphant is perfectly fine. Did I get that right? Completely fine. You're close. And um, this book was her. It was her first published book. I, I I loved the book when I read it the first time. So I thought it was a good one for Aileen and I to share. So I read this book a few years ago. I think it came out like 2017 or something. So I yeah. probably read it around then. And I remember liking it. I liked it even more this time. Mm-hmm. It is such a great book. And Eleanor is just such an amazing, quirky, weird character. Um, so it's the story of Eleanor. Who, it's actually, it takes place in Scotland, which is sort of mm-hmm. interesting because aside from some terminology that's a little different, you would never guess it took place. You would never have any idea what country it took place in. Um But Eleanor is kind of a misfit. She's like 29. She works. She's like an admin in a graphic design firm. And she's a loner. Like she's the weirdo in the office who she hasn't cut her hair since she was 13. She wears these big like Velcro shoes. She's just kind of awkward around everyone. And she just doesn't interact with people. She just goes in. She does her job. She goes home. She was like, you start to kind of like learn about her past. And she was like a, a ward of the state. There was something bad that happened in her childhood, They sort of, which they start to reveal throughout the story. But she just goes home and is by herself. And she talks about how on the weekends she'll go like two days without talking to another person. And she sits at home and drinks two bottles of vodka mm-hmm. and then gets up yeah. Monday morning and goes to work. And so just has no interaction really with other people other than like going to work. Um but she's also incredibly intelligent. I actually highlighted a ton of quotes from this book because it's so funny. Like the way she speaks is hysterical. She's super smart. Like I probably should have been looking up some of the words she was using because I was like, I have no idea what that word uses. But she also (laughs) describes like social interactions the way you would imagine like an alien from another planet describing them. Like she has this outside perspective, like she's an observer and she's watching people and how they interact with each other. But the way she describes it, you're like, oh my God, yeah, the way we interact is really messed up. Like this is weird. Like we all accept certain dynamics because she, she just lives in her own bubble, like in her own world. So she doesn't even, she's like, yeah, I'm a weirdo, whatever. That's just the way I am. But so as the story progresses, she ends up she sees like an older man fall down in a side, like in a street crossing or something. And this other guy she works with is like, Eleanor, we have to go help him. So they go and they help this guy. So they become sort of part of his family. So suddenly she's friendly with this guy from work and part of this guy's family. So she's starting to like interact with other people and it makes her sort of take another look at the way she's living her life and who she is. And she kind of starts to learn and grow and develop relationships. Um, oh, I've highlighted one quote. This is one from her. Um, These days, loneliness is a new cancer, a shameful, embarrassing thing brought upon yourself in some obscure way, a fearful, incurable thing, so horrifying you dare not mention it. Other people don't want to hear the word spoken aloud for fear that they might too be afflicted. And that's pre-pandemic. That's what I was going to ask. That's what I was going to ask. Aileen, you said you liked it so much this time around, but could it be because it's like a post-pandemic view on it that now you're like, this is something that's much more important. Like loneliness has a new meaning to us now. Kind of. I I think I also, you know, I realize I don't read many funny books. I love humor. I love reading things that make me laugh, but, but there aren't, there aren't that many. 
Mm-hmm. Know what I mean? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. There's a difference between lighthearted and funny. And like a lot of books oh. are described as lighthearted, but they're not necessarily, they don't make you laugh out loud. And this book actually makes me laugh out loud in certain spots because it's just, there's such like funny little moments within it. I agree with you, but there's this underlying sadness in it too. So it's like a, it's kind of paradoxical, I guess, because it's funny. Yeah. And she says these funny, funny things and you're laughing. And, but then you know how sad it is, the situation she's in. Yeah. Like here, all right, here's, this is her, Eleanor. Um, my phone doesn't ring often. It makes me jump when it does. And it's usually people asking if I've been missold payment protection insurance. I whisper, I know where you live <laughs> and hang up the phone very, very gently. Like, that's what I mean. Like she's, she's just so quirky and funny mm-hmm. and lovable, even though like the way she's described and like you see how people are treating her and she's oblivious to it. Like you see her coworkers being mm-hmm. cruel to her, but she's oddly confident in who she is. She's just mm-hmm. accepted being this like, weird misfit it is who she is she doesn't have any frame of reference but one thing um i mean i think the turning point in the book is when she starts to like you said she and she and this co-worker came upon a man who fell in the street at a heart attack right and they basically get him to the hospital and then there's this chain of events where his family is so grateful and they're embracing her and and her this is her friend raymond that she makes through work um and Raymond ultimately is the person that kind of saves her because he's there for her at her lowest point, um, which we should talk about, Aileen, because that's a really important part of the book when um, she has this crush on a pop star oh, yes. and she kind Forgot of has a, yeah, so she has sort of this crush on this pop star and it's 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 not based in reality at all. And it is the thing, she it happens pretty early on in the story and she's like, she sees him. She thinks he's good looking. And she's like, that's it. He's the one for me. I better like get a makeover mm-hmm. and start looking good. Because when we go out together to restaurants, I, I want him to be proud to be seen with me. So she literally just goes and gets a haircut. She buys clothes. But it's all for this fantasy, like this man she's right. never even spoken to. But in her head, she's already creating the future, her future with him. Yeah. And she's <sighs> completely wrong about this guy because he's just this stereotypical kind of douchebag okay and um (laughs) but she has this like perfect image in her head that he's going to be like the perfect husband question when her co-workers are making fun of her or targeting her is their targeting of her justified is it does it seem really mean-spirited or is she just kind of a misfit and people don't understand her so they they seem mean you see that they're mean but you also get why mm-hmm. they're being like because she there's sort of an arrogance to her too like she does kind of think she's better she thinks she's smarter than everyone she thinks it's she's better than everyone and she's also she's you learn she's never been treated well in her entire life so oh, she doesn't right. know how it feels to have friends and to have people who care about her so this has just sort of become her plane of existence this yeah. isn't a, i'm going to keep reading quotes guys because there's so yeah, many good do ones it. <laughs> So this is her. She again. She has like really smart insights. So you're mm-hmm. you're on her side because you're like you're kind of saying the things that we should all realize or think. Um, so at the office, there was that palpable sense of Friday joy. Everyone colluding with the lie that somehow the weekend would be amazing and that next week work would be different, better. They never learn. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you kind of nailed it, Eleanor. That's absolutely right. It's so depressing, but yes, that's it. Over time, I mean, once she becomes friendlier with Raymond and she hits rock bottom and Raymond kind of brings her back to reality and she shares, it's shared in her office that she had a breakdown, you know, like 
she has mental health issues. This is something that's not talked about. And then she it's revealed to her coworkers, to her boss. And they're they're very supportive of her at this point, which I think is really important. I think it's something that should be talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hidden. almost like they're given that permission, like, okay, she's a misfit, but she's our misfit because we yeah. know her secrets yeah. now. And yeah. it's sort of like once you crack the shell, like once you can see that somebody is vulnerable on the inside, you can be kinder to them because no matter how weird they are, it's like mm-hmm. they're a bug like you in a strange way. I don't know. <laughs> Well, and and she also like you're reading it and you can picture someone you've known, somebody who mm-hmm. dresses kind of weirdly, who's really awkward, who doesn't fit in, who gets picked on. And you can you can relate to that. So you like I was reading the book and I was like, is she on the spectrum? Like, is something mm-hmm. wrong with her? Like immediately I kind of went there. And then I was like, no, she just has ne- she has no model for what a normal social interaction with. She doesn't right. know how to have relationships with people. She has literally been living in her on her own planet. And that's the way she approaches the world. Like. It's like she's just an observer on planet Earth, just seeing what the humans are doing. But, and, and again, the, the author just kind of like leaves this red thread throughout the book. Like there's mm. hinting at something bad that's happened in her past. And like her mother was awful to her and you're not sure what it is. And she has conversations with her mother and her mother is just this awful voice in her head telling her how terrible she is and what a loser she is. And mm-hmm. which also makes you more sympathetic to her because right. Right. Well, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it, it basically the crush on the pop star, she went, she thinks it's going to appease mom, you know, like finding the perfect man. Um, Validation. Yeah. yeah. I've got another quote. Um, this is her talking about getting ready to meet <laughs> her future husband, <laughs> she thinks. Um, it had crossed my mind that I ought to ready myself physically for a potential meeting with a musician by making a few improvements. Should I make myself over from the inside out or work from the outside in? I compiled a list in my head of all the appearance-related work which would need to be undertaken. Hair, head and body, nails, toe and finger, eyebrows, cellulite, teeth, scars. All of these things needed to be updated, enhanced, improved. Eventually, I decided to start from the outside and work my way in. That's what often happens in nature. The shedding of skin, rebirth, animals, birds, and insects can provide such useful insights. If I'm ever unsure as to the correct course of action, I'll think, what would a ferret do? Or... (laughs) How would a salamander <laughs> respond to that situation? Invariably, <laughs> I find the right answer. So you see what I mean? Like, she's so bizarre, but also there's like this really brilliant logic to everything she says. It's amazing. I love her lists. I love her looking at nature for inspiration. I love this yeah. woman. Well, ultimately, I mean, she becomes real close with Raymond. Um, and he, like I said before, he sort of saves her. How old is he? Is he close to her Uh, age? Do you ever wonder if they're going to get together romantically? Well, she basically throughout the book just thinks he's, you know, dumpy and she's irritated by him. Yes. She doesn't like his clothes. She thinks he's overweight. He smokes. Like she has her own issues with him. Um, I wait. This is an Eleanor um, observation. They go to a party and people are dancing. And this is Eleanor, Eleanor observing. Um, The other guests did seem to be enjoying themselves, or at least I assume that to have been the case. (laughs) <laughs> they were shuffling on the dance floor, red-faced and drunk. Their shoes looked uncomfortable and they were shouting the words of the songs into each other's faces. <laughs> I mean, think about every wedding you've been to. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't realize how much I liked it until I read it again. Um, so she, this, I think she's in a department store, like realizing she needs like better clothes. Like she's been wearing the same like potato sack for 15 years or whatever. <laughs> um, and I don't know how to pronounce this word. So you guys are going to have to help. She had tried to steer me towards vertiginous heels 
Vertiginous, very high, very, very high. Yeah, I think I've never heard that before. Again, why are these people so incredibly keen on crippling their female customers? I began to wonder if cobblers and chiropractors had established some fiendish cartel. (laughs) On reflection, though, she was correct in stating that the fitted black dress did not really go with either my new boots, too informal apparently, or my Velcro work shoes. It appeared that nothing did, much to my surprise. I had thought that they were the very definition of versatility. We compromised with some improbably named kitten heels, which, contrary to what one might think, had nothing to do with cats. <laughs> like, again, she has these observations. It's like she's from another planet, but they're she's so right. right. Yeah, so she's just this. Um, I realize, I feel like most books try really hard to make their main, main characters incredibly attractive. Mm-hmm. Like you always want a main character you can relate to, but also they're always described as being like beautiful and, and Eleanor is not. She right. also has scarring on her face. That's actually another yeah. important thing. And like physically, you're like, she's just not an appealing looking person. And it, it is, it does take, you do feel like you hear that description and you do feel like you need to get to know her and understand right. her mm-hmm. because right. there isn't anything on the outside immediately that you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I love her. It makes me think of so many people in high school that we never appreciated that now I think are the coolest people ever. Not, I, I mm-hmm. mean, and this is from afar. You know, this is stalking them on social media and, you know, wondering stalking, what is this person up to? Um, <laughs> you know, and just not appreciating how quirky some people were mm-hmm. when when we were in high school because we were so worried about being able to maintain our own social status that. And and I, I mean, I can only speak for me. You know, it's it's threatening to try and befriend someone who is, I mean, I, I already had dork status of my own. And so for me to <laughs> drop to a lower dork status was a really threatening idea. <laughs> Alyssa, I think you, were, you weren't as big of a dork as you as you, no, you, you were. Because you know what? You, you, know, you, you were like dorky cool because you <laughs> like you wanted to be a paleontologist. None of us even knew what that word was, but you knew what it was and you wanted to be it from the time you were like seven years old or something. Right. You were just always very self-assured. Like you just had this air of confidence about you. Plus you were tall and blonde and pretty and athletic. So mm. you had all that going for you too. So like your dirty qualities were like endearing. Like it, It's just sweet. It well, just you, yeah. had, you had very high cachet <laughs> yeah. dork status. It was but, like- but dork status nonetheless. And, you know, I, I don't think any of us see ourselves clearly as the way other people do. And Eleanor clearly reflects that concept, you know, with her self-assuredness and yet her co-workers are like you know oh my it, it is it is true I feel like if I went back and asked everyone we went to high school with like what what did you think of me how mm-hmm. would you describe me I would probably be shocked because mm-hmm. I have no idea I have no mm-hmm. idea how people would describe me yeah I don't either I have no idea I don't think I want to know either. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I can leave that. Leave that skeleton in the closet where it belongs. I mean, we, we also grew up in a small town without a lot of variety. Right. You know, yeah. like everybody was supposed to be a certain way and be a certain type of person. Oh, and, you got labeled right. Right. From, like first grade. And mm-hmm. that's that's who you were for the rest and for mm-hmm. 18 years. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. you were who you were. And that's it. Yeah. You weren't allowed to change. Right. Nope. Do they Not at all. in this book? Do they talk at all about Eleanor's um, childhood friends? Um, not so much. Her childhood. Uh, she was in foster care for for 
from a very young age and she didn't really form any um, attachments there. But when she was in college, she had an abusive boyfriend. Hey, we didn't touch on this. Oh, God. Yeah. And um, oh, I couldn't fi- I couldn't find the quote, but she talks about it very matter of factly. She's like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend of two years, he pu- used to punch me in the face yeah. and throw me down the stairs. It, <gasps> and then just very like, wow. okay. this is just how it was. And finally, somebody at the hospital was like, I think maybe you should kick him out. You know, but I she have just a question was- about that, though. Why did the author include that in the book? To what end? Do you have a feeling hmm. for that? Like, Ooh, that's do you good, think it was necessary? Because she had a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah. Sure was, like, ultimately, like, did it need to be part of the book? I don't know. It shows how her, little she values her own safety, almost in a way, or that she's once accustomed to physical abuse, you stay with it. Yeah, that does make sense, actually, if you knew the ending of the book. Yeah, she... Um, because she didn't you realize know, she I doesn't need know what, to know the ending of this book. Yeah, you have to read that. Alyssa's going to start on last doesn't page. doesn't know <laughs> what real love is. She doesn't know what yep. it is to be loved, truly. Yeah, loved, and she, she thinks that's the way relationships are. Okay, so she, it, it again proves, I think, that, that she has no model for what yeah, a healthy relationship exactly. is. Yeah. Can you tell me the ending? No, no Alyssa, you would really like it. You have to read it. it. She's such a great character. It's a beautifully yeah. written book. And you can read it in a weekend. Yeah, it's a pretty quick read. Yeah. Okay, here's one more. So <laughs> this is Eleanor. A man named, named Keith has come to visit her. Glenn is her cat. Um, by the time Keith was sitting on my sofa with a cup of tea, Glenn had disappeared. She only really enjoyed her own company. She tolerated mine, but fundamentally, she was a recluse at heart, like J.D. Salinger or the Unabomber. <laughs> yeah, just this like hyperbolic description of a cat that is very relatable. J.D. Salinger and the Unabomber, right? <laughs> okay. Oh, that's awesome. So, Alyssa, you and I had the same book. We did. We did The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Yes. So, And I know you did your homework. Do you want to see all? Just because I, I knew Alyssa would have all of her homework. You guys both have notes. Lauren, we're the slackers. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm, she's I'm, got like five wait, pages of notes. I'm Holy, literally always the Alyssa, slacker here. So it's okay. Wait, Alyssa, hold that up. Okay. How well, many pages of notes do you have? Four of these are my physics got quizzes a diagram. that I'm giving oh, okay. this You are week. a dork. Um, <laughs> of course I'm a dork. I... I, I know who I am. You. I was like, ooh, Alyssa's going to be so impressed with me. I finally did my homework. And she did like 10 no, pages of notes. I did. And hers are typed, Josie. Because what I did is copy and paste off of the internet for things that I looked up. So none of these are my original handwritten anything. Okay. I mean, okay. I, well, I feel a little better. I did mark my book up a bit. <laughs> oh I have a quote that I like and I have a few things. And then I was looking through it. I was like, ooh, this is a juicy part. I marked that. It's all juicy. Did you realize how sexy this book is? Okay, so I... So what's it about? um, It's the Iliad. It's that retelling uh, of of Achilles from his early years all the way up to his ending, which actually happens post-Iliad, that that. Um, Achilles dying. This is not a spoiler. Not a spoiler. It's <laughs> been around for thousands of years. His death and a little bit past Achilles' death, but that actually occurs in, I think, the Aeneid is where that occurs because the end of the Iliad is the death of Hector. So this goes, it goes before and after. It uses a whole bunch of myths from Achilles' year, early life all the way through past his death, just a little bit. But, but it's told from the right. Say it, Alyssa. But it's told through really the perspective of a secondary character, 
which is am I you're gonna have to correct my pronunciation, but Patrocles. Patrocles? Because it's I It's either Patrocles or Patroclus. I've been pronouncing Patroclus. It Patroclus. In in my head, it's Patroclus. But what is it? Well, I've heard a lot of people <sighs> Patrocles is how it's usually pronounced, but I've heard a lot of people say Patroclus, but it's Patrocles because it's paternal. So he's like honor of the father is what his name means. So Patrocles, you'd put the emphasis on the first syllable. Yeah. Let's just call him Pat. Let's just say Pat. Yeah, there Pat. We go. I'm with you, Lord. Pat it is. <laughs> uh, but this book originally was written in 2011. And then there was a TikTok trend. And I don't, I don't remember what in particular about this TikTok trend called forth this particular book, but then it re-hit the social awareness. And it's been on my reading list for years. And finally, this summer, when it came back around as being in the forefront of cool things, I thought, okay, I'll read it. So I didn't read it until this summer. This was my Cape Cod Beach read. It was great. And mm -hmm. I had no idea what it was going into it. I really like historical fiction. I really like, and I don't know if this would be considered historical fiction, but I think because it's a retelling of the Iliad, which is, it's, it's in the historical lexicon of... When Homer wrote the Iliad, he was writing about it hundreds of years after it supposedly happened. Right. So it might, it could possibly be based on a war between the very early Greek city-states and this place that was on the main, like off on the other side of the Aegean Sea. Mm -hmm. It might be based on that, but there's kind of no proof right. that it actually happened. But I had no idea it was a romance. It's all a love story. It's, it is. it's yeah. so wonderful. And the Iliad is supposed to be based on this love story. Like it's the only war fought for love and the face that launched a thousand ships. Mm -hmm. And she nailed it in that like Madeline Miller really, for the first time I see it's a, it is the love story of love stories. It is. It's mm -hmm. like they're in love with each other from their earliest youth all the way up to like past their death. Right. It's so beautiful. It just happens to be Patrick, Patroclus and Achilles right. instead of Helen and Paris. Right. But so <laughs> I, part of my background in research into this prepping for the book was figuring out about Madeline Miller's writing of it and her inspiration and then some critical mm -hmm. review. And it took her 10 years to write it. And mm -hmm. five years into the writing, she completely scrapped it because she wanted to make sure that the, as it says in, in the notes that I took, literally took from the internet. Um, she was struggling to perfect the voice of her narrator. And so yeah. this really was a labor of love. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a brainchild to have this love story between uh, Patroclus, Patroclus, Pat, and Achilles. Because <laughs> Plato is, is said to have made references to the two of them being romantic partners. And I, I mean, she just took it and ran with it. Well, they were tent mates. And yeah, they were. He called him. He calls it <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they were called um, like dearest friend. It was like this level of friendship that was beyond friendship. It was like a the way the words that they use, and she reuses some of the old Greek words. It's called like most dear to my heart is one of the is the name, and it there it's just like this really quick name. I should have written it down, and I didn't. That's the one note that isn't on this <laughs> stupid page. But um, well, Alyssa would have written it down. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> But I mean, it is, it's definitely that they were lovers. And I, even when you read the Iliad, it comes, it comes across that, you know, Achilles goes absolutely bananas after 
Patrocles dies. Mm-hmm. Like, Patrocles dons his armor and he goes out and he fights his Hector because Hector doesn't want to fight anymore because he's been slighted by Agamemnon. But then Patrocles puts on his armor and he goes out and he fights in um, Achilles' stead and he dies because he's not Achilles. And Achilles loses his marbles mm-hmm. and kills Hector and drags his body around, like in front of the gates of Troy for days. I mean, he absolutely. He's in agony. Goes, yeah, mm-hmm. he loses his mind and he does something that you just didn't do back then. Whose cat is meowing? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's mine. <laughs> he's He's got problems. He's like, meow. I'm like, do I mute? Do I unmute? What do I do? I need an office. I'm working I'm like on it. I'm talking about the death of Patrocles and Achilles losing his mind and killing meow. Hector in a rage. Meow. Meow. <laughs> and, like, and one of the things like, that, I, out. that I loved about the story, the way it played out is that the trickery of fulfilling the prophecy because Achilles yeah. refused to fight because he knew that it was prophesized that he would die as a result of trying to fight Hector. And so he refused to fight. Well, Hector would die first or, and he would die. He wouldn't die until Hector was yes. dead. So as he long as Hector lived, Hector. Achilles would stay. Right. And he kept saying over and over, everyone was like, why don't Achilles, you're, uh, what is it? You're the great, great, you're like the best of us. You're the... Anyway, the whatever. bestest the of best the warriors fighter. is what yeah, he the was. bestest of the warriors. And and um, he was like the first man or whatever. And th- he was like, oh, he's done nothing to me. He kept saying over and over again, Hector's done nothing wrong to me. I don't see why I have to fight him. When everybody knows that the war can't be resolved until Hector, who is the greatest Trojan, fights the greatest Greek. It just isn't going to happen. And he keeps putting it off for 10 years. Mm-hmm. He puts it off. and. Um, yeah. So that's like trying to gain life. He's trying to eke as much life as he can out of it because he knows if he kills Hector, he's going to die. But he keeps saying, why would I ever kill Hector? And then Hector kills Patrocles, who's dressed up as Achilles and Achilles loses his mind and kills him. And then he kind of wants to die. Right. He's like, I don't it's care anymore. Like this is, ugh, it's just, it's done so well. And the way that Madeline Miller shapes fate into it, mm-hmm. like you have all of these prophecies and there's even a quote. I've I've I have so many bookmark quotes in this that I don't even know where to go with ha- like I'm like where do I look because I put so many this is what she says so a prophecy she says this is a the that the best of the myrmidons will die before two more years have passed Achilles face was still utterly still we have known it was coming he said a curt shake of her head no the prophecy says you will still be alive when it happens Achilles frowned what do you think it means I don't know, she said. Her eyes were very large. The black pools opened as if they would drink him, pull him back into her. I fear a trick. The fates were well known for such riddles, unclear until the final piece had fallen, then bitterly clear. Mm -hmm. And it so plays out. You get to the end and you're like, oh, it was written the whole time. It was was always going to happen this way. Did you read the ending first, Alyssa? Yes, because I needed to know. Alyssa, we all know how it ends. But everyone knows the Iliad, and I just couldn't remember it. So I thought (laughs) I will just reread the ending to make sure that I remember the story. But there's so many. You can read the ending all you want, and you still don't know about all the prophecies and then the intricate twists and how it plays out. And the relationship building is still so just well done that the the end knowing the ending doesn't ruin any of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and also one of the things that i love and i'm not going to tell you how she did it but 
I was like, how is she going to tell this whole the story of Achilles? How is she going to tell his death? Because I knew that Patrick Leaves was going to die first. Mm. And she handled that so mm-hmm. well. It felt natural. It wasn't a device. Right. It made sense because it, it's told first person from Patrick Leaves' point of view. Right. And it's like a tight first person. We never see into anybody else's POV. He rare, He speculates kind of a little bit about the world and what Achilles is thinking, but it really is all just from Patrocles. And I was like, how is she going to do this to show Achilles' actual death? Because Patrocles mm-hmm. is already dead. Right. Achilles doesn't bury him. A- Achilles lost his mind. He wouldn't mm-hmm. let anyone touch him. He wouldn't even let Bresius come in and clean his body. He kept him in his bed with him and like, gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, yeah, a- Patrocles is still a, like, the way that the Greeks thought you needed a proper burial and you had to be named Mm -hmm. like you had to have a burial place with your name on it in order for your soul to pass over into the underworld. Mm -hmm. And he's not given that. So he's stuck. He's stuck watching Achilles basically run off a cliff. And it's Mm -hmm. so, so heartbreaking. And then at the end when Achilles dies and has his Mm -hmm. tomb with his name and he then is gone, Patroclus is left just wandering, waiting to get into the afterlife. Because his name isn't put on the same grave. On the grave. So, and it's it is it's written in um maybe it is written in the Aeneid. I'm not sure who said it, but it, it was known. It was and Virgil had said that. He wrote in The Fall of Troy and he also wrote in Trojan Women, which is um Euripides' play, The Trojan Women, which is where a lot of this is taken from, like what actually happened after Homer's dead. Um it's uh Patrocles is cremated and his his ashes are mixed with Achilles, but his name wasn't ever put on the tomb. So Patrocles isn't really given a release mm-hmm. like he's not. And then another piece of this that I liked and thought was, I mean, it is Greek mythology, but it's relatable is Achilles yeah. mother doesn't like Achilles life partner. Yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> it's Patrickley's. She and, doesn't like him. She doesn't think he's good enough for right. him. Right. Um. I. You know, it doesn't help that she's a goddess and you know has has these powers. Um. But I think I think part of the story that also is touching is her her ability to come around and and see the value that was brought to her son's life by this person. I don't think she ever sees that. But, she eventually but, writes Patrocles' name on Achilles' tomb so that Patrocles can rest. But I I see no empathy or pity in her. She, why I think would she she's do that, still, though? Because he won't leave her alone. So she's just she's a haunting. <laughs> I believe that. I think that she's sort of, I don't feel like she's, er, like she's believed Patrocles has earned her acceptance or understanding or forgiveness for sort of bringing her son awry her whole thing was that he had to get and get more glory. Right. And Patrickles almost blunted his glory. Oh, yes. In a way. Right. Like he was held, held him back from the ultimate biggest, shiniest glory he could achieve that he could have had. Exactly. He was, but, um, you don't, I feel like she gives him relief that he he really resigned to, if my son loved him, I will let them be together. No, she didn't want them together in the afterlife. She just, she was like, all right, I'm going to do this for you so that you have rest. But I don't, she never, no, I don't think she ever accepted him. And she, she never felt like he deserved him. I don't and think that's she the ever funniest felt like thing. he just, des- right. I don't think he ever, she ever thought he deserved 
Achilles. Or that they should be together in the afterworld. I'll have to go back I, and I think read that part. And the one thing, and honestly, this is such a great note about Patrocles, is that from the very first day, how his father was always disappointed in him. His name is Honor of the Father, and his father hated him. And his father thought he was like this skinny, weak boy and was so happy when he could exile him. And it's like his whole life, every single person in Patrocles' life looked at him as less than, except for Achilles. Mm-hmm who's like, was supposed to be the greatest man ever. Right. And it's just this weird, almost like this trade. Well, Bresius loved him too in this version of the story. But it's like from his first moment, how everyone despised him except this God, right. you know, this God actually. And I felt like she did such a great job of reinforcing that. Even when he's going to find Achilles, like he buys passage on his ship and he pays double for it. And everybody's just like, look at this schmuck right. paying, paying double. Like, to get there faster. We're not going to sail any faster for him. It's like everyone he meets looks looks at him like he's lesser. Mm-hmm. And that makes the love, like this natural, genuine love that Achilles has for him all the more beautiful. Right. Although mm-hmm. I think my favorite part in the book is in the middle part where Achilles is being trained by, is it Chiron? Chiron. 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 C-H-I-R-O-N. Chiron. I will say... That this book is an excellent example of when people mispronounce words, it's because they've only ever learned it from reading. Like when my son first saw, we're standing in the supermarket aisle and all of those magazines are, you know, and facing everyone to see. And, and David looks at this cover and he says, mom, what's our mage John? And I looked at him, I said, what? And he pointed to the magazine and it was the movie Armageddon. Oh, and oh, he's wow. reading it. And he said, our mage, John, what is that? <laughs> um, and, and I just, I just love that. Um, I do that like embarrassingly a lot. I do too. And I'm fine with that. This, this is Greek. I knew coming into this book that Josie was going to be the expert. Um, I'm okay. No, with that. not the expert. I mean, I've read a lot of Greek, obviously. Right. Dude, if I haven't read a lot of Greek mythology at this point, I don't okay. deserve it. Jo- no. Josie, were you always into Greek mythology? Like, back I always loved school? it. Yeah. There was always something about the, I don't know. There was always something about it that I found really haunting. I think it's that idea of fate and that idea of like not being able to escape it. And, you know, you mm. you meet your fate on the road you take to escape it. Like that's right. Mm-hmm. That's from Oedipus. And there's, there was always something about how we make our lives. And even if we know how a horror that awaits us, no, the world will fit itself together around us. We'll fit our world together Uh around it to make it occur. And that's just something that I've always, I don't know. It's almost like we're all living in time. Fate makes it so that you're living in time backwards. It's like, Uh you know, you know, like a time travel. I know. (laughs) I know. And it's just always, it's something that I've, I, I don't know. I've just been thinking about for a really, really long time. And mm. I've I've also always loved the myth aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like I you know, people turning into trees and right. <laughs> no, it's just cool. I always cool. loved Greek mythology. I and Me was too. in seventh I think seventh grade, the um social studies curriculum is all about Greek and Roman mythology. And yeah. I remember writing some ungodly number of pages in a report documenting all of the different gods and goddesses and demigods. Yeah. And, and I love, 
I love the idea of being able to look at our natural world and these stories and explanations for why things are what they are. And I think in particular, I like Mm -hmm. that now because I've always been interested in the earth and earth processes. And and to be able to look at it now as an earth scientist, but then to appreciate how in see, Lauren's cats are in agreement with me for the beauty <laughs> of the natural world and the place of all the creatures and and just the stories of how do you explain thunder and how do you explain the changing landscapes and and then to have the gods and goddesses be able to explain some of that. And then I, I just always have found it fascinating. I also loved like the descriptions of the underworld and how it was this mappable place. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are these rivers and you have to cross a river and like there's this, uh, you know, all these different lands that are sort of broken up in this underworld. It's a shadowy realm and it's not really hell and it's not really heaven. And it, it's, I don't know. I, I just always, I was always fascinated by it. And I, and I like that it's defined. I, it's, yeah, it's I guess I like that too. Yeah. Like you could go there. Right. It was a place that people went to and came back from right. too. That was another very comforting thought, I guess, when I was younger. Um, but yeah. the part of the book that I really liked was this middle part where he was, Achilles has to go be trained in order to become the warrior that he wants to be. And he ends up in the woods with, how am I going to pronounce his name? Chiron. Chiron. Yeah. So Chiron is supposed to train him. And I thought, though, of all the other creatures, though, Chiron accepts, um, I'm going to call him Patroclus. Patroclus. <laughs> yeah, he's the only one that accepts him and he accepts their relationship. He does. Too. And he, yeah. he doesn't listen to Achilles' mother, who sends a warning that says, do not allow passage for anyone other than Achilles. And right. don't let him take his friend, basically. Right. And so... All right. So I really love that part and all the stories of they spend almost what, two years, basically, from the time they're 13 to 15. And they learn how to hunt. They learn how to fight. They learn about medicine and and being surgeons and how to create herbal remedies and to read the seasons and to adapt. And um, okay, so I'm going to cut to a critical review, and then I'm going to go back to this section. So I was reading critical review of the book, and there were all of these wonderful reviews, Washington Post, The Guardian. When the book first came out, it was, you know, prose as clean and spare as the driving poetry of Homer. But then in the New York Times, there was a dude who reviewed the book, and he, quote, compares the book unfavorably to young adult literature. Describing, I know, oh, I have a whole lot on this. Describing the Song of Achilles as a book that has the head of a young adult novel, the body of the Iliad, and the hindquarters of Barbara Cartland. He also compared the novel's prose to spark notes and softcore pornography. First of all, what's wrong with it being a love story? Right. Why is that YA? It's it's right. a love story and it's supposed to be. It's about a war that started for love. And why don't we talk about the love for a little while? Mm-hmm. YA typically, because then I went on a deep dive into what adult fiction is compared to new adult fiction, because those are slightly different genres depending on the age group that is portrayed in the book. Uh, so complicated. Yeah, and so because yeah. this takes place with 
characters who are in their early to young teen years. I think maybe that's why he's characterizing it as YA. And at first I had a really hard time wrapping my head around the fact that these were 13, 14, 15 year old boys. But when you think about the world they lived in, they might have been by age 13, 14, 15, but at 15, they were getting married and being Mm -hmm. adults essentially. It was like middle age. Right. (laughs) So they can call it YA all they want, but it's not, I mean, these are very adult relationships, very adult themes, very adult actions. Um, And I'll read you some softcore porn. (laughs) Please let there be aubergines. There's no aubergines. And I I really disagree with that softcore comment. I I don't think any of it is that. It's not. not, It's it's it's. It's sexy, but it's not tacky. Right. It's beautiful. Right. And yeah, it's, it talks know. about the beauty of love. So when Achilles is sent away to be trained by Chiron. 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 I'll get it eventually. Um, he, he doesn't go fully. He stops in the woods. And it's this long trek that he has to take to get there. And he stops and he's waiting. And what we come to realize is that he's hoping that Patrocles. Patrocles will follow him. And so we see Patrocles on his journey to try to find Achilles. And they're in the woods and Patrocles um, thought he heard something, is waiting, doesn't know where he is, doesn't know who might be lurking. And there was a movement from the woods at my side. I jerked my head towards it too late. Something, someone struck me from behind throwing me forward. I landed heavily face down on the ground with the person already on top of me. I closed my eyes and waited for a knife. There was nothing, nothing but silence in the knees that pinned my back. A moment passed and it came to me that the knees were not so very heavy and were placed so that their presence did not hurt. I did not move. The knees lifted and hands reached down to turn me gently over. Achilles was looking down at me. I hoped that you would come, he said. My stomach rolled awash with nerves and relief at once. I drank him in, the bright hair, the soft curve of his lips upward. My joy was so sharp, I did not dare to breathe. I did not know what I might have said then. And then it goes on. But that's so good. (laughs) So good. There's a million of these. Like this, I I don't know. This person must have a problem with love stories, but there's so much Right. Yeah. Or it's homophobic. There is so much about, there are these beautiful moments that, are, and this is why I think it, it transcends just another retelling of the Iliad. Mm. She, her prose is really, st- I'm not surprised it took her 10 years mm. because yeah. every single paragraph is crafted. So here's just a, he's, Patrocles is, is afraid and just listen to how she describes it. Fear was twisting inside of me, a wobbling cup of panic that threatened each moment to spill. Mm-hmm. Jesus, that ta- that takes time. You got to sit down and think about that. Oh, and listen to this little nugget of smartness. Um, what are you thinking about? It was Achilles come to find me. His voice was loud in the quiet grove, but I did not startle. I had half expected him to come. I had wanted him to. Nothing, I said. It was untrue. I guess it always is. Shit, <laughs> Shit that's good. That's just good writing. And that's like... Uh, my, I have so many things bookmarked on this book. Just these b- beautiful little moments that she wrote. Beautiful little moments between two people. And it's not, 
they're teenagers. It's not they're two boys. It's it's just two people who are relating to each other and thinking and growing mm-hmm. as people and who are trapped in a horrible situation. You know, they're they love each other and one of them is chasing this fame because he he knows that that's what he's destined to do. It's like you know, he's got, he's got to be the greatest warrior right. in the world because that's what he's made for. And it's like over and over again, Patrick is just sort of admiring him like that is what he's made for. He talks about the bones in his wrist like a flute. And it's like he's he's got these beautiful artist bones and he plays the lyre and he sings so beautifully. But he's like this gorgeous instrument of death. Like that's what he's ultimately that beautiful for. Like he has this perfect body that's made to kill. and. One of, and not the heart for it. And it's just beautiful. Right. I don't know. And and Patrocles has no, he should have no redeeming qualities. He should have no value. And yet, I mean, he... He does nothing. He is like, he follows Achilles right. wherever he goes. That's all he does. But he doesn't seem like a passive no. character. And and he has, he has worth and value. And Achilles sees so much in him that nobody mm-hmm. else sees. And his father asks Achilles, his father, who's a king, mm-hmm. uh, Pelion or something mm-hmm. like that, um, Peleus, he asks him, he's like, why all of these boys would kill to be basically like your best friend or your spearmate or whatever. And he's, why did you pick Achilles? And he's, why did you pick Patrocles? And Achilles replies, because he's surprising. And that's it. He doesn't go on. And Patrocles is like, go on. Right. Like, tell me. Yeah, why? You know, why he you wishes me? that Achilles. <laughs> I really need to know. Achilles would explain it to him. But it's almost like he doesn't need to be anyone but himself. And that's enough. Yeah. For Achilles. It, it really so is such good. a nice story. So touching. And then they die and it's sad. And they all, they <laughs> die. And then they drag each other's corpses around. It does get pretty <laughs> gory. There there are some parts the that, are, gory. that are shocking with some sacrifices that are made and just the bloodlust in some of these rulers and the, mm-hmm. you know, the pissing contests of who's really in charge. And it, it it's disturbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The spoils of war. And that's exactly the spoil. And that's exactly the way that it's, it it plays out like all their time in the in the encampment outside of Troy. It it is the Iliad. If she doesn't miss a beat, like all of the major fights between Agamemnon and Achilles, and how Odysseus is always sort of maneuvering and trying to get everyone around. How Ajax the Greater thinks that he should be the best of the Greeks, and like if Achilles only wasn't there, and Achilles like is this kid? He's sixteen when he shows up, and he can kill hundreds of people at once. He's just a death machine. And everyone's like, that little punk, (laughs) he won't kneel to Agamemnon because Agamemnon can't win the war without him. And everybody knows it. All of these other guys are kings, too. And it's just like it really you see how everyone hates him. They hate Achilles for what he can do. And it's just like so honest. It's like he's the Michael Jordan of death. And everybody watches him just in awe. And at the same time, they're like. God, I hate you. Right. And she grasps that and she puts it into the story and she shows how it's this hatred and these these Achilles is there for his glory and Agamemnon is the leader Mm -hmm. and he won't give Achilles the ultimate glory that he wants, that he feels he deserves. And it's because of that Achilles, that's where his downfall is. It's hubris and it's so Greek and it's she does it perfectly. Mm -hmm. 
She does it exactly like a Greek tragedy. She doesn't miss a beat. She doesn't betray the story in any way so that she can, but she tells her story from a point of view that is just unheard of in the mm. the Greek mythology. It's just. Did you read her wow. follow-up book? Was it Circe? Circe? Oh, Circe? I haven't read it yet. I haven't I read have that it, yet. I have it on my phone. I got it downloaded. Yeah, <laughs> I started it and up. I didn't, I didn't finish it and there's no reason for that i really need to but i was wondering what will she write next i don't know if it keeps taking her 10 years hopefully she has another job and it's not just right (laughs) well no she had um she was a a teacher she uh i know she went to brown and then she got her she got her master's and and she was uh she's from massachusetts i think she's from brookline Yeah. yeah and madeline miller uh it was a teacher in a high school in Massachusetts. I'm not sure which town. Oh, for the ten years while she was writing uh, "Song of Achilles," mm-hmm. and I think Circe took her less years, but still took her a while. But she crafts her prose so delicately. Don't rush the woman. Give her a minute. Right. <laughs> you know, especially it's so hard to tell a story where everybody knows every single beat of it and to not betray any of those beats. Like she didn't change the plot right. of the Iliad. She didn't change what we know of post Iliad after Hector's death from Virgil's Aeneid, from what we know about the fall of Troy and Trojan women in Euripides' play. So she didn't alter any of those, what we know mm. from those, that canon of the the Trojan War. And to tell a story that everybody, everybody in the world has known for thousands of years and to do it in such mm-hmm. a fresh and lovely way is such an accomplishment. I know the brilliance the woman take of a few years to write her next book. <laughs> but it's it's the brilliance of the side characters. And and we see this, yeah. I mean, it hap- this is the story of Wicked. This is how Wicked yeah, became. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think at some point in the next couple episodes, I'll do the red tent. The story of um, Rachel. I think it's Rachel. Mm-hmm. I have to, I have to, I'm going to have to reread it. But you know, you find these secondary characters who are only mentioned once in a story, and then you develop a whole: who are yeah. they, and and what really are they thinking as they experience the story that we think we know? Mm-hmm. And it just adds so many layers that are interesting. It takes so much confidence as a writer. You know, if mm-hmm. you're going to take one of these classic stories and retell it, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. It takes balls to, to, right. to do that. Like you really have to believe in your vision, right? And I've read a, I've read a lot of retellings, but they they change the plot. They do so much mm-hmm. stuff to it. This did not like even yeah. about it feels authentic, right? Even about Achilles studying with Chiron mm-hmm. on Mount Pelion. Like Achilles studied with Chiron just the same way that Jason studied with Chiron, and it's like she, she used and she did not stray too far from you know, the myths that have already been established for thousands of years. And that, a lot of retellings, they'll just start with one nugget of an idea and they go off like, like Wicked. It's just that one little right. nugget. And then they, he goes off and he builds his own world on it. Mm-hmm. She didn't do that. She stayed squarely and firmly in that world. But she told it with such this, with immediacy and with poetry, mm-hmm. with true poetry. That's another thing. It's the Song of Achilles and her cadence in her prose is very lyrical and it has almost this dirge like quality to it because it is leading up to these deaths like everybody dies mm-hmm. and it's 
wonderful in tone. It fits perfectly with what she's doing. And it does feel like one of these ancient dramas, but told in such a modern voice. Just great. Really good. Yeah. I had fun looking back. <laughs> I'm just book. loving it. I just, I'm just enjoying sitting here. I'm like looking off. I'm like just enjoying sitting here thinking about what a wonderful book she wrote. That's so good. Hmm. Loved it. Loved it, it. It is a very surprising but satisfying love story. Satisfying. Yeah. And how can you be so invested when you know everybody's going to mm-hmm. die? And it just See, like, but you know the much. ending and yet going back and experiencing it is so Alyssa fulfilling. is validated. <laughs> so Aileen, Lauren, can you give us your final thoughts on Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman? Um, I love this book. I loved it even more the second time, which I thought I was going to, because I read it so recently, I thought I was going to sort of struggle to have to read it again. Like it was going to feel like a chore, Mm -hmm. but oh my God, Eleanor is just this amazing character. She's so complex and she's just so damn funny. Mm -hmm. Like it's so nice to read a book that makes you laugh out loud, but then can also make you feel a little sad. Like it's just this emotional roller coaster. but she's just such a quirky, weird character. You go into it and you see her the way the rest of the world sees her and then you get to know her and you fall in love with her. And it's just, it's a beautiful book. Yeah. I I like the, like I, like I said before, I like the contrast between the sadness and the humor. Um, But I also just want to like point out, remember when you had like that weird crush in high school and you really thought it was going to work? Like you were going to dress right and do your (laughs) hair right. And it was like, you knew that it was, yeah, I could relate to that. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And then it not working out, mm-hmm. totally relate. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, Alyssa, what are your final thoughts on The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller? I think my final thoughts are what I had said previously. It's such a surprising and satisfying love story from a, a retelling of a different character that you just didn't know in, in these old stories that you've heard a hundred times. Um, it was so beautifully written and so easy to fall into, even though you knew in the end it was all going to just be sad. But it was great. It, it was very well done. And I'm going to, my final thought is actually a quote because dang, that book was hot <laughs> and like <laughs> unexpectedly hot. So this is when um, the Greeks have broken through. I mean, the Trojans have broken through and they're, they've it's almost the end of the war the trojans almost beat the greeks and they're they're breaking down the beach and they're going to burn the ships so that the greeks can't even get back to greece and this is what and now hector's whole brown body twists alone before the blankness of sea and sky hung between air and earth his face is smoothed at peace his eyes lifted a man in prayer a man seeking god He hangs there a moment, the muscles in his arm knotted and flexed, his armor lifting on his shoulders, showing hip bones like the carved cornices of a temple. Then his other hand swings a bright torch toward the ship's wooden deck. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) Damn. She's describing a dude throwing a torch into a ship, and I'm like, oh, that is a (laughs) sexy-ass torch. Like, I don't know what the heck's going on anymore. Uh, that's my final thought on the song. These men in armor. Shopping now. (laughs) I'm going to go take a cold shower. (laughs) Oh, that was awesome. All right. That was great. You guys, thank you so much. It was so great, Lauren. I'm so glad you're back. 
Yay. Yeah. Yeah. So next week. Next week. See you then. See you then. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Fiction Between Friends. To find the show notes for this episode or to subscribe and get new episodes delivered automatically, visit fictionbetweenfriends.com. Also, if you happen to have a moment and you've liked what you've heard, please help support our podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We would be immensely grateful. Thank you for listening. Thank you.